The 2016 primary was zany and exceptional in so many ways, and in March, there was one more plot twist that turned political convention on its head. Let's talk about this possibility of a contested convention. You used to call it an extreme hypothetical. Is that still the case? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably not still the case, no. Uh, I think it's possible, um, and we're preparing for that possibility. That was Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus conceding the unthinkable. The party was planning for a primary that would not be decided during the normal process. It looked like this match was going into overtime. But there had not been a contested convention since 1976, and suddenly everyone, including the campaigns, were rushing to figure out what this scenario would look like and how to influence the delegate selection process. In the final stretch, Ted Cruz and John Kasich and their allies sought to keep Trump short of the 1237 delegates he would need to lock up the nomination and thereby force a vote in Cleveland at the convention. Here's Mitt Romney, the former Republican nominee for president. Well, I'd rather see someone besides Donald Trump become the nominee outright on the first ballot. But what if he but does? If that doesn't if he happen? Does? But, that, but, but uh, if that doesn't happen, then I'd like to see an open convention where there's more give and take between the candidates and someone else besides Donald Trump becomes the nominee. And here was Kasich in April when his campaign lagged far behind in the polls and the delegate count. Look, we're going to an open convention. I have been saying it for two months. People were saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, it turns out I'm right, uh, we're, and we're going to go there. But in one of the big surprises of this election cycle, there was not cause for an open convention after all. Trump locked up the nomination in regular time, and the convention, well, it might turn out to be relatively normal. This is Trailhead, a podcast by Real Clear Politics. I'm Rebecca Berg, and in this series, we're exploring the quirky markers on the path to the nominating conventions through some of the standout moments in this year's primary process. After a hard-fought primary, parties have traditionally converged on their conventions to either duke it out or mend fences. This year, it's not totally clear which it will be. Anti-Trump delegates have vowed to make their last stand in Cleveland, and Democrats are still papering over their deep divides forged during their primary. Democrats, after all, had some convention suspense of their own, with Bernie Sanders vowing he would not let up his fight before the bitter end. But for the moment, we're going to fight all the way to the Philadelphia convention, and we're going to win as many delegates as we can, and we believe we do have a path toward victory. But Sanders finally endorsed Clinton this month, and he's now slated to speak on the first night of the Democratic convention. Republicans have also come together to an extent, although many elected officials will now be skipping the convention due to other commitments. All said, it's been quite a year for the institution of political conventions, which over time have gone from being genuinely rowdy, consequential party meetings to their modern made-for-TV format. They have given us some of the memorable moments in politics. At the 1976 Republican convention, Ronald Reagan and Gerald Ford clashed in a heated contest for delegates to win the nomination. Ford won the day, but Reagan laid the foundation for his own successful bid later on. In 1980, at the Democratic meeting, Ted Kennedy sought to take his primary fight against Jimmy Carter to the convention floor by unbinding delegates from the primary results. That gambit didn't work, but Kennedy got the last laugh, stealing the show with a rousing, memorable speech. Adding insult to injury, the sea of balloons set to drop from the ceiling after Carter's speech got stuck and didn't fall. 
And in 2004, of course, a state senator from Illinois made history with this speech. And I stand here today grateful for the diversity of my heritage, aware that my parents' dreams live on in my two precious daughters. I stand here knowing that my story is part of the larger American story, that I owe a debt to all of those who came before me, and that in no other country on earth is my story even possible. more about what goes into making a convention, I spoke with Kyle Downey, who worked as the press secretary to the 2012 Republican convention in Tampa. It was supposed to be an uneventful convention. Mitt Romney had locked up the nomination, picked his running mate, and assembled a highly professional campaign organization. But there's always something that doesn't quite go according to plan, and this time Tropical Storm Isaac was building strength and heading toward Tampa. Spotting a hurricane and watch it barrel in and cancel, um, you know, all the planning, um, or at least, you know, causing you to redirect, yes, that, that's, it's hard to top that. Republicans scrapped the entire first day of the convention, although Isaac ultimately missed the city. But later in the week, Clint Eastwood took the stage with an empty chair and with an unfortunate performance through the proceedings far off script once again. Uh, so I've got... Um I've got Mr. Obama sitting here, and he's, uh, I, I just was going to ask him a couple questions. So, Mr. President, how do you, uh, how do you handle, uh, how do you handle promises that you've made? You don't, you don't have it, okay. Well, I know even some of the people in your own party were very disappointed when you didn't close Gitmo. Oh, you, what do you mean, shut up? Fortunately for Downey and his team, that speech came on the final night of the convention. But it was also, in some ways, par for the course. There's no such thing as running smoothly. <laughs> okay. Um, no, it becomes it becomes almost a, a, a you know, part, yes and no. I kind of joke. Um, yes, absolutely. Like the booking operation, like so much of the infrastructure that you build, um, you know, from the booking operation to the caucus operation, so much of that is, uh, you know, it's such a well-oiled machine that, yes, that absolutely, you know, works uh, very smoothly, just as you would expect it to. Um, that being said, um, <laughs> there's also, uh, uh, you know, a simultaneous uh, massive triage uh, effort going on, on on a multitude of levels from, you know, the buses couldn't get out of the parking lots, you know, for several hours. So you had, you know, upset delegates to, you know, canceling because there's a hurricane, you know, there's, um, you know, there, there are there and, and everything in between. So, so yeah, no, there's, there, there's quite a bit of, of having to, uh, adjust to issues as they uh, as they pop up and and they inevitably do. Before he was on the convention side, Downey worked for J.C. Watts, then the House Republican Conference chairman, and Rob Portman, among others, and steered them through the convention process. It can be a hugely important week for politicians to make connections in the party and broadcast their name nationally. Oh, it's a it's a huge platform to to just conquer media interviews. There is uh, one of the one of the largest operations built at a convention is the is the media operation. So you have, uh, and I believe it's 
you know, next to the Olympics and like, you know, Princess Kate's wedding, uh, you know, the, the conventions are the biggest media draws out there. Um, so you have, you have, you have tens of thousands of media, uh, members of the media from all over the world, uh, and all, all over the country descending on a convention. So it's great to, uh, to get your boss exposure. It's great to get your boss, um, uh, you know, on the, on the job training. It's, um, you know, they set up a radio row with, you know, several, you know, several hundred talk radio hosts from across the country. And so it's just, it's a great place to, uh, you know, everyone's, every, everyone's there. It's not rocket science. You know, you can also just show up on the ground and take your boss and walk through the media tent and um, come out the other end with, you know, multiple interviews it's the, it's the Henry Ford assembly line of interviews. But interviews are only one component. There's the actual convention, of course, the after parties to attend, and a whole slew of state party events. The, uh, the state parties um, are, are very vigorous um, with, with their activities, um, both business and social. So because everyone is descending from all the state parties with the delegates, etc., um, and your, and your, you know, most of your, your delegations are there as well. They, there's actually a great deal of, of, of party business that gets done. So, um, you know, almost everybody has official meetings and, and goes through the, you know, the parliamentary procedure and, and democratic process of, 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 of party business. So a lot of that takes place at, uh, you know, breakfast throughout the city um, and or lunches. Um, and then, you know, there's a good mix of, of, of social activities and, um, and, and, and requirements for being in the convention because, you know, there is convention business taking place. So how does all of this come together? Planning a party convention is such an involved, demanding process that the planning and fundraising begin well before there is a nominee. And so when the nominee does emerge, there's a transition process. The campaign's people swoop in and begin to work with the pre-existing team. Downey joined the convention team through Romney's campaign, and he said it was remarkably smooth. But it isn't always. Yeah, traditionally, it, it can go one of two ways, and this applies to both parties. And, and you know, you've, there, there are plenty of, of war stories out there um, to represent this. Um, but, but yeah, there's either really seamless transitions because the, the team in place, well, for a variety of reasons, uh, the team in place has, has, has you know, done their job extremely well. Um, the, the, the incoming campaign has, you know, got a good attitude and, you know, not threatened, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, sometimes there's, there's a lot of elbow throwing and, um, you know, so so it just depends. This time around, the Republican National Committee squad has remained pretty much in control, which is unusual. But Trump's campaign simply doesn't have the manpower to commit to the convention, nor, frankly, the will to become deeply involved. But even for Trump, who has been such an unconventional candidate, the convention still matters. It helps voters and the party to process the transition from the primary to the general election and to introduce the party's candidate to the most broad audience yet. Conventions set the tone for what's to come, and those that are well executed can give a nominee a boost of momentum. The, you know, the trick with the convention is you're trying to 
you know, to present your candidates in, in new and interesting ways. And so, yeah, the easiest way to do that is to, to, to break out each day and focus on a theme. Um, so there's message development, which is done, uh, uh, you know, at the, at the, at the campaign level. Uh, Rush Griefer, uh did did um, you know an excellent job at at, at, at pulling all that together. Um, so so I worked closely with him on that, and then you know integrating that into the 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 just again superb operation that that that, that James Davis had, had, had built and put into place. So it's you know again it's 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 message development and it's message delivery. It's a party event for the nominee. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance built into it. There's a lot of, uh, uh, procedure built into it. There's a lot of tradition built into it. Um, and it's, it's a, you know, it's a structure, um, that, that a campaign, um, traditionally, you know, uses to their advantage. Um, whereas, you know, that's different. Well, I mean, it's not all that different from a campaign event. It's just that it's ginormous and everybody's watching. But conventions, because they are so tightly choreographed, can also be dull. That might not be the case this year, but every four years, no matter the nominee, the teams planning the convention look for ways small and large to innovate the format. Incidentally, it was Trump's current campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, who made a big leap for the party in this respect. In 1996, as Dole's convention manager, he produced the first made-for-TV convention with shorter speeches and a focus on entertainment value. But there's also a limit to what can be changed. Well, sure. It's, you know, it's the 21st century. It's 2016. We live on our screens. So, yeah, it's, it's, you're, you're absolutely trying to... Um, to reinvent the wheel, but then again, it's it's a political political convention. So, you know, there's there's a lot of the the cake that's already been baked. So, in 2012, how did you guys try to try to make this an exciting thing for people, or innovate the convention format? Um, I think it was the first time that there was a house band incorporated into the programming. Um, a lot of uh, there was a, a much greater emphasis on the uh, the videos, uh, the video production, the quality, the content, um, the delivery. Uh, you know, was 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 light years ahead of, of I think previous years. Um, the the stage itself was um, you know was was well thought out and. Um, you know, in, incorporated all of the, the all of those sort of elements into it with moving screens and, you know, things of, of that nature. Still, for all of the work that goes into these conventions, every four years, many of us ask, what's the point? More often than not, these party infomercials give us little news and little new insight into the candidate and his running mate. Well, it's part of the American fabric. Um so there's 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 such a, a a history of these things that you know it would be hard I think to see them go away and and even though things have settled out um, you know 
we saw within both parties the the potential for for actual um, you know delegate floor battles uh, for a nominee. So you still need the infrastructure in place. You still need the mechanism in place. Um, you know, if we're going to continue to you know work it as a as a you know through the democratic process, so it's um, very essential there. You know, are they a bit, um, you know, sort of circus, you know, from from the yesteryear type quality, uh, type entertainment? You know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, now we've got like two reality TV stars, you know, both Trump and Hillary. I mean, she's been in front of the cameras long enough. This, you know, so I, you know, I don't know. There, there are media events that um, are are you know do and will continue to. Uh, to draw crowds. Like eating pork chops at the Iowa State Fair or hosting 100 town halls in New Hampshire, jousting verbally on the debate stages, or so many other quirky presidential primary traditions, the process just wouldn't be the same without it. This brings us to the end of the primary and this series. Thank you for listening to Trailhead, a production of Real Clear Politics. And welcome to the general election.